0: open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, and before I get started, let me just say I have been so thrilled with the way that you as the congregation has responded to these messages. I've got a lot of feedback just um, telling me how the Lord is using Colossians to help you put Jesus on the throne, and so that is the goal, to put Jesus where he belongs and to keep our eyes fixed on him. And do pray for me as I prepare these messages. I don't want to just suck them out of my thumb. <laughs> I, I want them to be messages that God gives and uh, that, that are bathed in prayer and spirit-filled. Um, speaking of those sayings, Pastor, I, so in preparation, I, I read commentaries and, you know, look at Esword and Logos and other, other tools. But I'll listen to sermons as well. I'll go online and I'll listen to others having preached through Colossians. I get a lot of good from that. <laughs> one old baptist preacher he started preaching and he turns around to the choir and he goes slap your mother That's a good phrase slap your mother. What what in the world does that mean? I have no idea. Don't slap your mother. I don't think that would honor the Lord but anyway um, I do appreciate your your feedback um, And and your prayers as we go through the book of colossians And I just my hope and prayer is that jesus will be lifted up jesus will be exalted in this church, in these sermons, uh, in your lives, so that the world will look on. And if we're lifting up Jesus, then we're busy. We're busy serving. We're busy sharing the gospel. We're busy loving each other. And the world will look on, and they'll see your good works, and they'll glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's the goal, all right? So let's play, pray for each other um, as we go through that we'll learn and grow. Um, also, just a couple things about the teen events coming up. That Teen Activity Friday Friday. Uh, If you're coming, please do sign up um, by tonight, because if you're not signed up, uh, I'm not planning to feed you. So uh, I need to know how many are coming for transportation and for food. Look forward to seeing you. Also, summer camp, it's very important, very important that if you're going to summer camp, whether you're a junior or a teen, could you please sign up ASAP? Um, I mentioned this last time, I think, or maybe Sunday, Kobiak is at capacity. Can you believe that? That's awesome. They're at capacity, so every single bunk is taken for every single week. And we reserved 45 slots, 15 junior, 30 So if you want to go, it's first come, first served. But Kobiak would like us to release the slots we're not using so that other churches who are asking can get in. So please sign up, go online, register, see me for more information. All right, all that's out of the way. Um, I'm excited about tonight's message. Um, By way of review, really quick... From last week's message uh, entitled "Gospel Impact That Ye Might Walk Worthy," um, this is just a quick review from last week's message. Um, if we can get that slide up there, "That Ye Might Walk Worthy," your review. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I preached uh, from verses nine through fourteen, and it was Paul's prayer for the believers that because of the impact of the gospel. Right? I almost entitled that message for the cause of the gospel. Um, he's praying that because of the impact of the gospel, that the impact would continue through that church. That they, having been saved and changed from darkness to light into the kingdom of his dear son, that they would grow in knowledge of his will. And where do we get that knowledge? We get that from the word of God. But he prayed that mixed with that knowledge would also be wisdom and spiritual understanding so that they could take the knowledge of God's will from his word and apply it skillfully to their lives so that they could, what? What was the goal so that you would walk worthy of the Lord, so that God would be glorified, so that Jesus would be lifted up? So as we gain a knowledge of his word, it's not just to be puffed up with knowledge. Pray for wisdom and spiritual understanding of what we learn so we can apply it and then... Continue our gospel impact. Do you see what I'm saying? So they were impacted by the gospel. Have you been impacted by the gospel? Have you been saved? All right. Have you been translated, as the Bible says in this passage 9 through 14? And then let's be praying for each other that that gospel impact will continue as we grow in knowledge and wisdom and spiritual understanding, knowing how to serve the Lord best. Um, Are you praying for that continuity? Are you seeking his will and his wisdom? Are you walking worthy of the investments he made? And I talked about how I believe we will be weighed as to whether or not we're worthy. Um, I don't have the same expectation of spiritual maturity of Tanner that I do in Charlie Monk or Pastor Barber. There, there's a difference in knowledge And wisdom and spiritual understanding. There's even a difference in what has been invested in those individuals. Charlie's been to Bible school and seminary. Pastor Barbara's been in the ministry for however many decades. right? I expect that as there's been more investment by God and the Spirit and others into their lives, there's a different spiritual maturity than Sataners. And so I believe that when God looks at us, he wants us to walk worthy, but the expectation is fitting, meet, worthy of uh, what has been poured into us. So are you walking worthy or weighing the same amount as the investment that's poured into you? To whom much has been given, much will be required. And so Christian, if, if others have poured into you and your pastor has preached to you and you've had the word of God and you, you, know, you have it multiple copies, are you walking worthy of that knowledge? Are you walking worthy of the wisdom that he's given to you? And expected you to walk in. Are you walking worthy? And then we've been translated from darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. That's a done deed. And that's who we are. Through the gospel we've been changed. And that's our standing. That's our position. Are we practically walking worthy of that position and standing? Right? Is Jesus king in your life? He should be. All right? So just a quick review there. Um. Let's jump in and read Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, and then we'll pray. Paul continues here, and he says this in verse 15. Who, talking about Jesus, his dear son, in whom we have redemption, verses 13 and 14. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, Visible, invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created by him, talking about Jesus and for him, verse 17. "And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the church, uh, excuse me, head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through His blood, the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we need you tonight. This is your word. You spoke it. And I believe you have answers for us from your word. Lord, I don't want to misrepresent you. I don't want to say anything that I'm not supposed to say. So, Lord, I pray that I'd be a vessel for your use, empty of myself, filled with the Spirit. Lord, open our understanding. Give us knowledge of your will, but, but mix with that knowledge, wisdom, and spiritual understanding. Help us to apply it skillfully in our lives, to lift you up, to engage the world with the gospel, to do your work and walk worthy, And Lord, tonight, help us to lift up Jesus Christ through this passage and what we learn from it. We ask for your help. We ask that you'd be glorified, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, real quick, let's go back and give a breakdown of the book. Okay, I haven't done this in a week or so, so let's look at a breakdown of the book. And as you recall, you can break it down maybe into four sections or two, depending on who you're asking. Personal, the personal section, we just wrapped that up. So we're transitioning here to the doctrinal section, okay, um, verses 1, uh, 15 through 223, and then, of course, the practical and relational. So now we're going to focus on the doctrinal section of the book of Colossians, and I recall a friend of mine saying, um, talking about theology, right, people don't need theology, they just need practical stuff, and I was just taken aback by his statement. What is more practical than theology? What is more practical than than the doctrine of God, right? And so whenever you come to a doctrinal section of the book, don't just roll your eyes in in boredom. Dig in and learn about him, right? So that you can grow in your ability to live out practically what you've learned, okay? So this is the doctrinal section. Here's another way to break down the book. 1 through 23 is the exalted Messiah all about the promised one and who he is? That he's been lifted up, that he's been given preeminence, his preeminence in the church, in creation, etc. And then chapter one twenty-four through two five, Paul talks about his suffering in prison, etc., for the Colossians and for the glory of Messiah. All right, and then he then he turns his attention to those pressures that are. Um, causing them to want to turn away, the doctrinal errors. And remember, it was a mixture of Judaism, keeping the law, and this um, Stoicism or Gnosticism, um, asceticism, where all all physical things are evil, so we need to abstain. And if you look at Eastern religions, many of them, have this idea of, you know, lay down on a bed of nails and don't eat for long periods of time so that you can become more godlike. Well, folks, all that is physical is made by our God and is good for us to enjoy and we can give God glory doing so. And so it's very important as, as Paul uh, teaches in this book to help them understand how do I live my Christian life with balance, not indulging in the flesh, but not um, cloistering myself away so that I'm of no good, right? How do I live in balance? Well, doctrine teaches us that, okay? And then lastly, the resurrection life. What does that look like in the believer's life, okay? All right, let's dive into our, um, our uh, section here. Now, it's interesting that this section, verses 15 through 20, many scholars believe is actually a song, so they believe that Paul takes this uh, this song, and places it in his letter. So I've entitled this message "The Gospel Song." All right, we had the gospel produce, we had the gospel ministry, we had the gospel impact, and now we have the gospel song, and it's all about Christ preeminent, and it's the song that they believe was sung by the early church, right? And remember I said it's fitting that we're transitioning to the doctrinal section because this song is full of doctrine. Songs should be doctrinal. And I love the fact that our hymnal is full of songs that just take scripture and pack it in. I mean, the songs we just sang about our redemption, about heaven, it's teaching something, right? Now, I'm not against... No, I'm not even going to preach about music. Go back and listen to Pastor Barber's message a couple weeks ago or last week on music. Christ should be preeminent in your music. Um, but music is so important and it really should teach something. And by the way, it's not, music is not only doctrinal, but it's also practical. Um, this section is practical because uh, your, your, your life is a song. People are listening to the song you're singing. And the question is, uh, is my song teaching that which is correct about Jesus Christ? Is it doctrinally sound? Um, What kind of song are you singing? So I can say one thing, but if they look at the song of my life and it teaches something very different, I have a problem there, all right? So it's doctrinal, it's practical. And again, they believe that it was sung by the early church, um, and Paul uses it, it may have been familiar to these Colossian believers, and he uses it to teach about who Jesus was. Remember the error that they were getting sucked into taught the wrong thing about Jesus. All that, that is physical was evil, they said, so you need to abstain, right? And they believe that there's no way that a, a righteous God who is spirit could create the physical world, so there was an emanation of him, and Many emanations later, so far removed from God, this evil emanation was then able to create an evil world. And what does that mean about Jesus, right? Who is Jesus? Is he God? Is he an emanation of God? Well, they were getting into some weird doctrine and error about Christ, and so he uses this song to teach about who Christ is. All right, so let's jump into our outline verse 15 through 17. Let's look at this phrase here. He says, who, Jesus, is the image of God. Now, if you go back to verses 13 and 14, he's talking about Jesus. And if that's not clear, it says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Okay, so this is Jesus he's talking about. In whom the son... We have redemption through his blood. Now, that's obvious that we're talking about Jesus here, all right? Even the forgiveness of sins. And then verse 15, who? Okay, it's talking about Jesus here. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? All right, I'm going to jump around just a little bit here. We're going to focus on that phrase, who is the image of the invisible God. Some would take the phrase the firstborn of every creature, and say, Aha! See? He's a creature. He was created. Therefore, he couldn't be God. Well, that's not what that means. As a matter of fact, the word firstborn doesn't necessarily have to mean first in uh, chronology, first in time, all right? It can have the idea of preferred or first in blessing, or in, uh, like, being a royal line, he's, he's preferred, he is the preeminent one. And how do we know that that's not the case, that Jesus is not just the first of all the created things? Well, context, okay? I learned a little phrase in Greek, speaking about phrases, right? Not as fun as suck it out of your thumb, but A little phrase I learned in Bible college. They said it over and over and over again. You probably already know where I'm going with this, Pastor. Context is what? King. Context is king. You can't take a little phrase or verse and pull it out of its context and build this whole doctrinal castle on it, okay? You need to look at the context. And when you look at the context of Colossians, it's clear as day, that Jesus is the creator, and he is God in the flesh. We'll get there, all right? So that word firstborn, again, doesn't necessarily have to mean first in chronology. It can mean first in preference. He's the preeminent one over creation, all right? Um, now, let's go back to the image of the invisible God. Now, God is the spirit, yes? All right, and... That which is spirit, right, we can't necessarily see with our physical eyes unless God chooses to reveal himself in some way, shape, or form. We can look at creation and learn about God, but it's not as though we're seeing God. No man hath seen God at any time, the Bible tells us. And yet, God revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ when he came. He was an eternal being without beginning, his pre-existence we talk about. And he became a man, lived a perfect life, fulfilled the law, and took your sins and my sins on the cross. And the eternal God in flesh paid for your and my eternal punishment. Only God could do that. So if you believe that Jesus is not God, then I'm sorry, your eternal punishment could not have been paid by anyone else. He was not only man, but he was God. And God revealed himself through this image, a representation, uh, who is Jesus Christ. Now, to illustrate this, it's not a perfect illustration, so forgive me. But to illustrate this, I brought a little uh, science experiment here. Um, Now, if we have a light, it casts what? A shadow, right? Casts an image. Brother Jason, would you cut the right front lights, please? Um, So, if I have the light, right? Um, By the way, if I stand in front of the light and I look into it, it'll be blinded, right? We can't see it necessarily clearly. But here's something cool, all right? Um, Jesus is the image of God, and some would say, oh, see, there you go. Man was made in the image of God, so he's just a man. Well, Genesis does tell us that God created man in his own image, and here's how I'd like to illustrate that, if I may. If I walk up to the board here, I am tracing myself, right? And what I believe is, here let me add some flair to it. Okay. All right. (laughs) Great representation. I gotta get the little swoosh of the hair there. All right. (laughs) Now, if you if you memorize Colossians chapter one, I'll be giving my artwork away. So. Um, so I, I traced in the image of, that I was casting. Do you see that? So it was made in the image, okay? But this is not the image of God. But I'm the one who is the image, and by the way, I'm doing the creating. Does that make any sense? And so Jesus, as we'll see in Colossians chapter one, in Genesis chapter one and Philippians two and Hebrews one, That Jesus is the one who did the creating in his own image. But man is made in the image. All right. I probably erase the face so it's not a distraction during this sermon. All right. Let's get rid of that. It looks better than I do. All right. So I believe that God created us in his image. And we are a representation of his image. But that Jesus is the image. I guess what I could have done um, to better illustrate this is my daughter has this really cool tool called a light board. Any of you artists know what a light board is? So it's, it's, like a, it's like a piece of glass with a light behind it, right? And it's propped up, and you, you can take an image, right? And you can place it on the light board and then take a piece of paper and put it on top of the image, and then you can draw, trace the image, right? And when you take the piece of paper away, you have a perfect representation, right? But the image is the image, and, and man was made in the image. So although we're made like God, Jesus is God, and he's the image of the invisible God. Okay, and that's how God has chosen to reveal himself. We can't see him, but when we look at Jesus, we see God. Do you remember Thomas and Philip in John chapter 14 in the upper room? They were having a conversation with Jesus and Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and Thomas said, where are you going? You said, we know the way. We, we don't even know where you're going, let alone the way. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no man comes unto the Father by me. And then Philip chimes in and he says Jesus just show us the Father and it sufficeth us and he said Philip have you been with me this long and you don't know this truth if you've seen me you've seen the Father now I'm made and you're made in the image of God and when people look at us yes they can see God's handiwork and fingerprint but we don't perfectly represent God especially in our sinful condition. That image has been marred. We're image bearers. But when you look at the person of Jesus Christ in the flesh, you see a perfect representation of God. And he is God in the flesh. And he's writing this song that teaches this doctrine to obliterate this idea that Jesus is somehow separated from God, some emanation or even that Jesus is possibly evil for having made this current physical world, all right? And so keep that in mind that Jesus is God. Now, let's quickly, if you want to, look at a couple of passages together. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read them for you. Jot these down if you don't have them, because if you ever run into someone who says, oh, Jesus isn't God, he was just a great teacher, he was the son of God, but not God, come on. All right, we'll go to Colossians 1 and read 15 through 20. And then go to Genesis 1. And we'll see that in Colossians 1, Jesus is the one who created all things. For by him all things were made. And without him not, anything that was made was not made, etc. Well, in Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to read it and ask you a question. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And then verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image. According to Genesis, who made the heaven and the earth and man? God, all right. So, in chapter 1 of Colossians, in verse 16, for him, by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether it be thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by him and for him. According to Colossians chapter 1, 16, who created the heaven and the earth and man and all other things? So, did God create all things, or did Jesus create all things? The answer is yes. That's proof for his deity. Okay? Genesis chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. Another passage you need to keep in mind is John 1, 1 through 15. The Gospel of John 1 through 5, excuse me, verses 1 through 5 and verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him we have life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehended it not. Now look at verse 14. And the word, just in case you're confused about who the word was, he clarifies, and the word was made flesh. Who was made flesh? Well, Jesus was and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So if you're confused about that, who's it talking about? Pretty clear, it's Jesus, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 and 14 tell us that the Word created everything that is, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Proof for the deity of Jesus Christ. All right, let's look at Hebrews chapter 1. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but the whole chapter, okay, talks about being made so much better than the angels, um, his majesty on high. Let's see, he goes on and he says, verse 8, but unto the Son, okay, S-O-N, who's he talking about? Jesus. He, he has said, um, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness, etc. Um, and thou, Lord, verse 10, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus, the creator. And he calls him God in this passage, all right? And then let's look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter two and verses five through eleven. He says this. For your fellowship in the gospel from the day from this from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, which he hath begun a good work and you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ, even it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Um, I think I'm looking at the wrong passage here. Chapter two. Chapter two. Sorry. Um Verse 6, okay, verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation took upon him the form of a servant was made in the likeness of men. So he thought it not robbery to be what? Equal with God? Can any of the angels say that? No, as a matter of fact, one tried and what happened to him? Boop, he got kicked out of heaven. But Jesus said, oh, it's not robbery to be equal with God. Well, but I'll make myself a man, become obedient unto death, and, and humble myself, even death of the cross. Jesus is God in the flesh. Don't let anybody confuse you about that. So Colossians chapter 1, he is the image of God, the invisible God. We can't see God, but he revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He took on flesh for us. And the fact that God became man, the incarnation—you read all about that in the book of First John. In the beginning, um, the beginning is when God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Um, that's the Gospel of John and First John. They touched, they felt, they heard, they were with Him, they ate with Him, and they declared unto their readers that this is God come in the flesh. And because he is God, he could pay your eternal punishment. But because he's man, he could shed blood for your atonement. It had to be that way. And Paul is saying, hey, look at the gospel. And Christ redeemed you through his blood on the cross. We'll see that in verse 20. And it was impossible without God becoming flesh. Don't let anybody kid you. Jesus is God. He is the image. I'm made in his image, but he is the image. Of the invisible God. He's the firstborn among every creature. Well, we looked at that already. It's not that He was created and He was the first and then all other things. No, no, no. He is first among all of creation. He is the uh, preferred one, the preeminent one. Any principality, any power, any throne, whether they're spiritual thrones and dominions or powers or physical, political, earthly thrones and dominions and powers, who is preeminent over them all? Jesus Christ. I hope that is an encouragement to you in a politically weird (laughs) time. Okay? Paul lived in a very politically weird time or uh, difficult time antagonistic time, as we are seeing ever increasingly. But I hope you're encouraged by the fact that Jesus is over them all. He sets up kings and he takes them down. He's in control, so just trust him. What I'm trying to drive home is don't lose sight of who Jesus is amidst this crazy world. When the storm was raging and the apostles saw Jesus Peter said bid me come out onto the water and he did he said come on so he started to walk on the water that's so cool and for all his faults he's the only one that I know other than Jesus to do that and when he took his eyes off of Jesus and he got distracted by the storm he began to sink and then he put his eyes back on Jesus and said Lord save me and he pulled him up out of it All I'm saying is, remember who Jesus is, that he is God in the flesh. He is the creator. He is the king of kings. He sets up kings, takes them down. You and I have nothing to worry about. Yes, it may be difficult. Yes, we may suffer persecution. Yes, there's a fight to be fought. But we're already on the victory side. We already have the victory in Jesus Christ. He is the king of kings. He will return victorious. We're just waiting for it. But we can wait with hope, assurance of who he is and what he said he would do what he said he would do. All right. So he said he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by him and for him. I'll just say briefly that apparently here it is referring referring to... The spiritual realm, and there seems to be a hierarchy, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers. Daniel is a very interesting book where the prayers were delayed because the angel was doing battle with the prince of Persia. Well, who was that? It was some demonic being, whoever that was. Very, very interesting that Satan has his demons over certain areas. He's got a demon hierarchy over the United States of America and over the Midwest and over Michigan and over Ann Arbor. I mean, it's a real spiritual warfare going on, but the good news is we're in Jesus Christ and we have nothing to worry about. We're on the victory side. Don't lose sight of who Jesus is. All right, and so he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn or the preferred one of every creature by him were all things created. We already demonstrated that. Jesus is the creator, okay? So he can't be a created thing because he created all things. He, he didn't create himself. He created everything. Everything that exists, spiritual or not, Jesus created. And so he is the creator. He is God in the flesh, Uh, Let's look at verse 17, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now, you could take this as before, meaning chronologically he is before all things. Before Abraham was, I am, preexistence, okay? He was before all created things, angels, dominions, powers, physical things, the earth, the heavens, all of it. He was before it, but he's also before it in preference. He is the preeminent one, and I hope he is so in your life. All right? Um, and I love this phrase, and by him all things consist or subsist. So um, my, my, how many of you kids love slime? You love slime? My wife hates slime. You know why? Because it gets in the carpet, and it gets on her couch, and it gets all over the place. Um, but my kids love slime. And we have found that we can make slime at home. My daughter has done all the research, and she has found recipes for slime. So I said, all right, we'll make some slime. So a few weeks, maybe a month and a half ago, she found a slime recipe for Elmer's glue and borax. That's all you need, and a little water. So I mix it up, and sure enough, it becomes slime, like really good slime. It stays together. It, 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 it consists of slime, and it, it sticks together. That's the idea of s- s- consist or subsist to stick together to stay together and as far as creation goes jesus is the one who created it but also keeps it all together right she found another recipe you're not so good and it's um it's called water slime and it said you don't need borax for this one let me tell you they're liars okay you need borax for this one. It says just take some shampoo and some cornstarch and add a little water and stir and a little more. I stirred that thing, I'm not kidding you, 15 different times during the day. And my arms were hurting. I'm stirring and stirring. And that stuff did not subsist together on itself. It stuck to the bowl, to the utensils. It said, knead it for 15 minutes. Okay, so I'm kneading it. And it's sticking all over my hands, and I'm, I can't get it all. It's sticking to the sink. I'm scrubbing. The, oh, it was terrible. Now look at verse, uh, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. Now check this out. Jesus is the one who created all things and keeps all things together. He's the binding force. And by the way, he's the head of the church. And he's the one that keeps the church together. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Because if we have any other mind, you know what starts to happen? Our, our unity starts to break up. And we start to stick to all the things that the world has to offer. We start to cling to the world. And we, we, we just are a mess and the world looks at the church when Jesus is not the head. He says, those people are falling apart. They're clinging. They're grasping. They want me to be a part of it. No, thank you. They're fighting. The, it's a mess. But when Jesus is involved, he's the binding agent. You need that borax to bind it together. Without the borax, it was just a mess. When I added the borax, that's just, it just came together. And it's, that was like two months ago. It's still good. It's still good slime. When Jesus is in our midst and he's the head and he permeates, everything comes together. And we're not clinging to the world and breaking apart and making a mess and just, I threw it away. I was, this is a waste. I threw it away. It was good for nothing. But that slime that, that's consistent, that, that subsists to itself, I still have today. We still play with it. When we make anyone else or anything else head of a church, it's no longer a church. That wasn't slime, that was a it me- was gunk, right? Ukraine should be dropping that on Russian tanks cuz it'll just it'll it'll ruin the tank, I'm telling you. It's nasty. It's a great weapon. But uh totally unnecessary. All right. When Jesus is the head, when he is permeated, oh, it's good. It's there's unity. He brings us together just like he holds creation together. He holds our church together. And it is so sad when I see churches split and people leave um, that are bitter and vindictive. And I have to ask the question, who's the head in that situation? Is it themselves and their own agenda, their own priorities, their own ego? It certainly isn't Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus is the head, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. He works that purpose through the church. He brings it all together. He's the binding agent. He's the head of the church, and he calls the church the body. It's interesting. I can, you know they can do like arm transplants now. You know that? It's insane. Um, They can do heart transplants. You know that, lung transplants, but they're talking about head transplants now, (laughs) but you're not the same person, I'm sorry. Like, if you get a head transplant, like, like you're just, you're, you're dead. This is something different. You can, you can change the heart, the lungs, the, the toe, whatever, um, but you can't change the head. And when you change the head, the church is not the church of the living God anymore. You have to keep Jesus as the head. And he's the one that binds it all together, that makes it all work together. The question is, individually, is Jesus your head? Is he the binding agent of your life, keeping you together? Or are you clinging to everything the world has and you're falling apart at the seams? Put Jesus back in the center. Put Jesus back as the head. Have the mind of Christ individually. And then corporately, if Jesus is the head, it'll all work. It we'll be a strong church that gets the work done. All right, he's the head of the body of the church. By him, all things consist in creation as well as in the church. Let this mind me in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Let's look at verse 20. Oh, well, let me read through. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the beginning of creation, the beginning of your faith, the beginning of the gospel, the firstborn from the dead. No, he's not the only person who ever ha- have been raised from the dead, right? We have Old Testament examples. We have New Testament examples. But he is the first to be raised, never to die again. And when he arose, death hath no more dominion over him. And if we're in Christ, we have the same resurrection. We have the same life. Isn't that wonderful? So keep your eyes on Jesus. Uh, The firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. He is supposed to be lifted up in creation, in the church. It pleased the Father, verse 19, that in him should all fullness dwell. I wish I could go down this rabbit hole. The fullness of God, the fullness, fullness of God dwells in Jesus he robed himself in flesh so that he could dwell among us because otherwise we'd be dead right um do you remember how God revealed himself to Moses he showed him his hinder parts in the cleft of the rock like that's really shielding himself isn't it if you read the book of Exodus they come out of Egypt and then they build the temple And at the end of the book of Exodus, the the Shekinah glory comes down onto the temple. And what does it say? Moses could not enter in for the glory of the Lord. You can't approach unto God. But God revealed himself in Jesus to bridge the gap, to change us, to rend the, the, the veil of the temple, to open the access. Jesus did that. Glory, hallelujah, right? Jesus is the image of God. He is creator. He is sustainer. By him, all things consist. Um, And it pleased the Father that in him should all dwell in fullness dwell. Do you remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John were up there, and Moses and Elisha appear, and he was revealed in all his glory. Whew. I shall be like him, for I shall see him as he is one day. I'm looking forward to that day. And in Jesus is all the fullness of God. And by the way, Christian, he, he is everything that you need. There, there's no emptiness in Jesus Christ. There's nothing lacking in Jesus. Stop clinging to the world for the things you think you need and listening to the lies of the devil. Stop believing the lie about who Jesus is. Oh, Jesus can't fulfill your needs. Jesus isn't really interested in you. He's not really able to help you overcome this addiction or this temptation. No, because in God, all the fullness of God dwells, and He's everything you need. He is all and in all, He is the preeminent one. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. In verse 20, to reconcile to Himself all things. And having made peace through the blood of His cross, there's the gospel. He full circle. He starts with the gospel. He, he comes back to the gospel here. And this is what Jesus did. He made peace through the blood of his cross. I was the enemy of God. I broke his law. And God had every right to punish me for in eternity in hell. But Jesus reconciled me. He made peace through the blood of his cross. He's the mediator. By him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say whether they be things in earth or things In heaven, that's what the gospel does. And it's interesting, he talks about things in earth and things in heaven, and I studied that. And I thought, is he talking about angels? Well, angels can't be reconciled. We sing a a story that the angels cannot sing. Redemption is something for you and me alone. That's that's mind-blowing. But heaven and earth and even the angels are affected by the curse of Adam's sin Because it touched every part of the universe. Stars decay. Right? Angels have to deal with the sin of mankind. They're battling as a result of the devil's fall and the sin of mankind, etc. But one day, Jesus is going to change all that. And the curse of sin is going to be gone. And for all of eternity, mankind, angels, and God will be together in harmony ever praising the Holy, Holy, Holy One, the God of heaven. He's going to reconcile all things to himself. And he did that through the blood of his cross. Folks, I hope that you're, you're, you're gripped by what you have in Jesus Christ. So get your eyes back on him. Put him at the head. Paul's prayer was that they be filled with all knowledge and wisdom and spiritual understanding So that they could walk worthy. It was all for the glory of Jesus. And when we put Christ at the center, Christ as the head, all things consist. They all stick together. They all work like they should. And we give him glory. We're walking worthy. And if we're giving him glory, we're exalting him. It's not about me, it's about him. We find our true fulfillment. See, the devil says, You'll never be happy. Go chase all the things that you want. And we find that they are empty, they're vain. But when we, we stop that vain pursuit and we say, nope, Jesus is the reason I exist. I'm going to put him at the center. I'm going to put him on the throne. Then we're satisfied. Because in him, all the fullness of God dwells. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be in th- things in earth, things in the heaven, thank God for the reconciliation through the blood of his cross. Have you trusted in the resurrected Savior for your reconciliation. Let's apply this. So who is Jesus? What did we learn from this song about Jesus Christ? Number one, he is God in the flesh. He is creator and sustainer. He made all things. Guys, he's got everything under control. And he sustains this universe. He keeps it all together. He's the binding agent. And by the way, Christian, let's make sure we apply that in this church. Let's keep Jesus at the head. If there's a, a difficulty, a dispute, a hurt, just take Jesus and put him at the throne, on the throne and in the center of that relationship and you watch the reconciliation that will happen. Keep him at the head. Make it for all for his glory. He's the creator, the sustainer. He's the head of the church. He deserves our song of praise. That's what this was. This was a song that gave rightful praise to the God... Who, in the, God in the flesh, the creator, the sustainer, and the head of the church. And I hope that our song communicates that. That it teaches who Jesus really is. That when people look at the song of our lives, it's consistent with the message that we hopefully preach. They say those, those Christians' lives are different. They got a hope, they got a strength, they got a love for each other that I've never seen before. And you say, oh, it's just because of Jesus. Jesus is the binding agent. Jesus is the head. Jesus is the reason for my existence. So what song are you singing? What does your life look like? It's amazing to look at people and see how even the way they dress and act matches the music they listen to. Isn't that amazing? I can tell that guy, list, not that guy, but just in the world, not pointing anybody out, that guy listens to punk rock. That guy listens to country and western. That guy listens to rap. I know what they listen to. I know the song because their life tells it. And the world should look at us and say, they sing the song of praise to Jesus. Our life should show, that should be the song of our life. Just as this song taught the right doctrine about Jesus and gave him his rightful praise, are you bearing his image clearly? Or (laughs) or are you distorted just a little bit? Right? Right? Let's, let's be an image bearer and sing the song of praise for who Jesus is. Are you giving him the preeminence in your life, in the church, and everywhere else? He deserves it. And are you reconciling? Because that's what Jesus did, and that's what we should do. Are you reconciling or are you rifting? Folks, let it never be said of any believer that I was the reason that this person left fellowship with Jesus Christ or or I am the reason why this church split that's not what Jesus came to do he came to reconcile all things in himself to make peace through the blood of his cross we need to lift up Jesus Christ and let our song preach him preeminent let's pray father I pray that our life like this song would be a song that the world hears and is just drawn in through the beauty of it and the truth of it, that Jesus would have his rightful place in our lives, in the church, and everywhere else. Lord Jesus, have the preeminence. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.